0: Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm thankful that when he had made purification for sins that he sat down at the right hand of the Father because it is finished and the work has been done and we come together today and we Uh, know that we don't fight for victory, but that we fight from victory. So grateful for uh, each of you being here this morning, for all of you that are worshiping together uh, in our online campus this morning. We're grateful uh, for all of you. Thankful for all of our guests that are here this morning. We'd love to connect with you, love to hear from you. There's a couple ways that uh, you can do that. There's a uh, number that you can text in, and you can text the word guest uh, to 828-477-4037, uh, and we will get uh, kind of an automated response that will let you give us a little bit of information, and we'll send you uh, a gift that will uh, be helpful along the way in Bible studies, a gift of right now media, kind of a Christian Netflix uh, we'll come to you as part of that and we just love to uh, connect and see how we could be praying for you You can text prayer requests there you can uh, text anything there and eventually it'll get to my phone and we promise to uh, pray for you and, and just uh, uh, Be of any help and assistance and service that we uh, can do super grateful for a team that will leave uh, Friday uh, excited to be part of that group and expectant of how Uh, The Lord will work uh, in our midst, grateful for all of those that are uh, able and willing to go. One of the things that uh, was was interesting to me, we were uh, preparing for some of the um, things that we would be doing and gathering as a team. And we heard some of the team say, hey, especially some of our students said, you know, this will be the first time that I've ever been on an airplane and you could sense maybe just a little bit of apprehension of some of those things. And I, uh, I remember the first time that I flew on an airplane, there were a few moments there. I'm like, man, is this the way it's supposed to... Feel uh, along the way. Uh, I even read there's a thing called aerophobia, uh, a a term that they've coined for those that might be afraid uh, to fly. But as I was uh, just thinking about this passage this morning, we're going to be in Isaiah 6. And if you're uh, just joining with us today, we've been walking through the scriptures, uh, really looking at just the meta narrative of scripture. We've been walking through uh, together as a church, reading the scriptures together. And actually, tomorrow's reading is Isaiah 6. And so you'll uh, be able to uh, just lean back in. Uh, there, but we've been walking through this uh, series, and, and uh, as I was thinking about the passage that we're going to be in today, and I was thinking about the trip that we're on, I'd heard uh, a guy that uh, that I liked that pastors in San Antonio, uh, Texas, a guy named Ed Newton that Uh, That I enjoy listening to and I heard him tell this story one time uh, And he shared that they were on a a plane There was this gentleman that was on a plane and when he got on the plane uh, He saw this uh, unaccompanied minor that was on the plane This young kid that was flying by himself and and the guy had had been placed beside him And there he was on the plane and all of a sudden about 30,000 foot things got uh, a little shaky right And all of a sudden there was turbulence around and uh, the plane was was uh, not stable didn't feel stable. And the guy said he was just, you know, really scared in that moment. And the people that were on the plane were intimidated by that. The people that were on the plane were, were nervous uh, about that and, and were trying to figure out kind of what was next. But this kid was just calm and collective. And so uh, finally the plane leveled out and the guy that was sitting beside him, he said, whew, man, I'm so glad that's over. Man, he said, but I noticed, he said, you didn't seem to get too concerned along the way. He said, do you mind if I ask why? And he said, oh, the little boy looked at him. He said, oh, I never get scared on these trips. He said, my dad's the pilot. <laughs> you know, and I was thinking about all the turbulent times and all the things that seem to be all around us and, you know, just the brokenness of this world that we live in. And, and I want to remind you this morning who is on the throne. We're going to be looking at, uh, this vision that Isaiah was, was given, and we're going to see him reminded who is in charge. and I pray that we might see God for who He is. I believe that our, I believe that, that all of us, I believe that, that me included, we are desperate. To see God for who He is, and, and to see a glimpse of His glory and His majesty and His greatness, and be reminded that in the midst of everything that is going on, that we have a God. Uh, the Scripture says, Isaiah said that that heaven is His throne and the earth is His footstool, and we've got a God who is reigning in glory, and His feet are kicked back, and He's not breaking a sweat. He is He is uh, not wringing His hands over all the things that seem to be going on around us, and when we can see the King. For who he is, we forget about all these other things and we can be reminded of what he's called us to do in light of his grace. Let's pray and we're gonna jump in. Father, we're grateful for your glory. God, we thank you that we have been able to worship this morning. God, to be reminded of what you have done. And, Lord, anything that we do, God, is in light of what you have done in our lives, Lord. And we ask you to speak into uh, our hearts in this, these moments ahead this morning, God, that the power of your Spirit. God, we long to see a move of God, Lord, that, that you might work in our midst in a way that the manifest presence of God might speak to your people. And God, that we might see you for who you are and when we see you in your holiness and your glory, God, that you might do something on the inside of us, God, that would change us, Lord, that would would, would cause us to respond in obedience and to be sent on mission for the glory of your name with no fear, God, but with confidence in knowing that you are are with us, Lord. We pray for anyone here this morning that has never uh, seen you in your greatness and your majesty, Lord. We pray that in the power of your spirit, God, that you might reveal yourself to them, Lord, and that when they see you, God, that they might see themselves in light of that, Lord, and it might cause them uh, to fall in repentance and surrender to you, Lord, and that you might change them for your glory, God, that you might save them. Lord, we pray, Lord, for all of us today as we open your word, as we read your word, God, that you would accomplish everything that you desire in this place today. And Lord, we love you and we're grateful for your love for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Isaiah chapter number six. uh, We're going to begin in uh, verse one uh, this morning. And the scripture says this, that in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord... "...sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now when we hear these words there's some things that it helps us to understand and so the scripture says that in the year that King Uzziah died and what we know about King Uzziah is that he had been ruling uh, over the southern kingdom, over Judah and as we've been walking through this series of kings and kingdoms we've seen uh, God's promises and God's faithfulness in the midst of good kings and evil kings and wicked kings and and how God continues to work and he continues uh, to call his people and we see these prophets that are raised up to uh, to declare the judgment that is coming and to call the people to repentance. And here King Uzziah has been ruling for half a century, right? He's ruled, I believe, for 52 years in this now divided kingdom of Israel. He's been ruling in the southern uh, kingdom, and he was a beloved king. And, and, and in so many ways, he had been a good king, and economically and politically, Judah had uh, thrived, right? They had been in good shape. And he, we read in, in the stories of King Uzziah that, that he had gotten a bit big. Uh, for his riches, right? And we've got to be careful when all of a sudden we say, you know what, I'm the king and I don't need uh, anything, right? And he decided he didn't need the priest to offer sacrifices. He decided uh, that, that, listen, back off, I've got this, I'm the king. And when he does that, right, at that moment, leprosy breaks out and he dies not too long after. And so the people of Judah, right, they are in a, a really tough spot in this year that, that King is out of. they felt like everything was stable in those places, right, in the throne throne of David is vacant and it's in this point that, that's very scary to them. It's in this point where rumors of Assyria and their might and their power were all around. It was a moment where, uh, where, where their rise to power right, had caused people to be afraid of what they might do. And, and here they were everyone, if you will, in the kingdom of Judah was likely preoccupied with all the news and everything that you saw on the news, right? Everything that was being shared in that time, right? They they were seeing those things. They were scared. Updates on Assyria and Isaiah's world is falling apart. And and from the tone of this scripture, it gives us this picture of Isaiah in that moment and God does something beautiful, right? He, He gives him a vision and he looks up, right? He's gone To the temple, which is is a natural thing for him to do, right? I need to hear from God. I need to see God. And when we come together and we worship God and we come together in this place, it should be that our desire and our heart might be that we would encounter the living God and that he might speak to us and he might change us and he might reveal to us the things that need to change in us and the power of his spirit, that he might change us for the glory of his name. And here is what we see in this place, right? He looks up. And he sees God for who he is. And when he does, everything changes, right? He, If you notice this passage, when he sees the king, he doesn't worry about the other king anymore. And I'm reminded this morning that God is... On the throne, that he is over everything, that he is all powerful and he is all-knowing. He is self-sufficient and in need of nothing. But he chooses to call his people into service with him. And Isaiah gets a glimpse of the greatness of God. How desperate we are, and how much our world, how much God's people, how much believers, how much our country, how much this world needs to get a glimpse of the glory of. Of our God in a season where all of the news is crazy, we see the Lord high and lifted up. We need a glimpse of His greatness. Look at verse 2. Seraphim stood above Him, each having six wings. With two, He covered His face, and with two, He covered His feet, and with two, He flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Now, this word seraph, this is this, it literally means fiery one. So there are these flaming angelic beings, right? This is not some chubby toddler off the Charmin package, right, floating around in heaven. This, this, is, this is fiery seraphs, right? This is a, a picture of uh, just these in, incredible uh, created uh, worshipers of. God, right, and, and and here they see him, right, and, and and they and what we see in this passage is when Isaiah sees him, right, they're covering uh, their face in the presence of the Holy One, right, and and what Isaiah sees, he recognizes it, and I want to encourage us all this morning. The first thing is that, that we might recognize God's holiness. Imagine what Isaiah is seeing in these moments, right? The King is on the throne; his train fills the temple, and above him are these fiery ones, and they are worshiping, right, and, and the the holiness of God, it distinguishes him not just simply from humanity, not just simply uh, from us as sinful humans, but it distinguishes him even from those fiery ones that are around the throne in such a powerful way that in his presence their face is covered. And, and he, he is distinguished, right? Holy, he is separate from all things. He is, he is distinct and set apart. Holiness doesn't define God, but God defines holiness. And when we see in this passage, holy Holy, holy, this repetition is there for a purpose, right? In the English language, we use words like this. We say that Rolos, they're good. And so it's positive uh, adjectives, right? We say Rolos are good. And then we might use comparative adjectives. We might say, well, Rolos are good and Hershey Kisses are better, yeah, but then we have a superlative, right? And that superlative says, Reese's cups are the yes. best, right? And so when we look, though, in the Hebrew, it, repetition has a different emphasis. Like in Isaiah, it says, Shalom, Shalom. And it's this picture of perfect peace. And, it, and the only time in the Old Testament you'll see a threefold use of an adjective is in this passage where these seraphs are crying out, Holy Holy, holy. And by the way, when you turn to Revelation chapter 4, it's never going to get old. Because in Revelation chapter 4, they're still around the very throne room of heaven. And they're singing, holy, holy, holy. Because our God is set apart. And so here in the Hebrew language, there's this super superlative that is invented. right? Because God is so majestic and he is so great. That language and our words and our descriptions cannot give him the glory that he deserves. It isn't just one plus one. One plus one. It is perfection times perfection times perfection. It is His holiness, right? And this is His Godness, right? In all of His attributes, everything flows out of His holiness he is god alone understand this morning he is not like us and a little bit better he is not like us and a little bit nicer he is god he is not the man upstairs he is not the big guy that we somehow flippantly approach he is the god of heaven that's given us access to the very throne room of heaven through the blood of christ then we worship him and we approach his throne because of the shed blood of christ and we don't do it flippantly We don't, uh, we enter, so many times we take for granted the access that we have to the very throne room of heaven, and we flippantly throw that around. When we come and we worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and may we not get familiar in our worship, may we not get familiar in the way that we live our lives and forget the greatness of God and all that he has done, All that he has done. Isaiah 6, 4, keep reading. He says, And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Right? They recognize. Isaiah sees his holiness. Right? We recognize God's holiness. And and the immediate thing that happens when we see his holiness is we realize our sinfulness. Look at verse 5. He said, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips. And for my eyes, he said, listen, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is is able, he, he gets to see the Holy One. And when he sees the Holy One, he sees himself in light of God's Holiness, And when we see God for who he is, it causes a humble reality in our lives of who we are. And, and it results in this kind of moment, right? When he sees God in his glory, he says, I'm done. I'm finished. Like there's in the presence of God, woe is me. And if God deals with me justly, if God deals with me in strict justice, I am finished. But thank God for his grace this morning, right? That's all of us, right? If God, if God is holy and sin can't be in his presence and there's nothing that we could do in our own strength to clean ourselves up, right? The whole world is trying to figure out how to clean themselves up. Uh, Isaiah didn't look into the glory of God and say, wow, that's pretty awesome, man. That's pretty cool. Well, Isaiah saw the glory of God and he saw in his own life and he said, woe is me. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. There's nothing in me that is good, right? We're, we're so bad to compare ourselves to one another. We're so bad to look around at our culture. Uh, you know, this morning, I, I, we, uh, we've got our, our senior adults are going on a, a trip this afternoon. And so yesterday they went down to get the bus together. Right? And I got the phone call. Hey, somebody cut the catalytic converter off of it. I'm like, really? It's like all these things. Right? It's just a constant thing all around us. And we come to church this morning. And we say, you know what? At least I'm not in church yards cutting the catalytic converter off the bus, right? At least I'm not doing these things. And we compare ourselves to one another. And you can find people that you can say, you know what? But, but listen, when we see the glory of God, we no longer, listen, we may recognize recognize that we're, uh, that I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I live among a society of unclean lips. I live among uh, people all around that are broken and in need of the grace of God. That's what we see when we see the glory of God, but we don't sit around and go, look at me. I'm I'm a lot better than the rest of those guys. I'm a lot better than that person. We look at the holiness of God and we say, apart from something supernatural, I'm undone. There's nothing that I can do to be in his presence because he is holy and I'm not right thank God for his grace look at verse 6 then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand which he had taken from the altar with tongs may I remind you that these are flaming these are flaming angels right this is not uh, they're they're not handling this thing with tongs uh, because it's hot they're handling this coal because it is holy it is set apart right and and verse 7 says that He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Now to encounter something holy, right? There's this this picture of destruction, right? This picture of, 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 it should destroy him. but, But what we see in this passage is when this holy thing touches Isaiah's lips, instead of hurting him, it heals him. And as we think about this burning coal writing, we look at the entirety of Scripture. This burning coal symbolizes the finished work of Jesus on the cross, what he's done. He went to the place of sacrifice in my place and in yours. And apart from the atoning work of Jesus Christ, apart from the atoning work of God, we can't be forgiven. He is holy and we are not. We can't be in His presence in our own strength and there's nothing that we could do on our own to fix it. We realize His holiness, right? We recognize His holiness. We realize our sinfulness and then we respond to His grace. And in response to His grace, we surrender our very lives, right? And we are surrendered We are sent. The the work of of grace in our life causes us to live obedient lives, not uh, out of fear, but out of response to the grace of God that has been extended to us. And we respond in surrender. We respond in service. Look at verse 8. The scripture says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for?" us. Isn't that interesting? I love the, the plurality of the wording in there. He right? says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Right, This Trinitarian picture of our great God. So here's Isaiah and he's seen the glory of God. He's seen his holiness. And in the midst of that, he's been made keenly aware of his sinfulness. Right, That's what happens when we see who God is. And when the Spirit of God convicts our hearts and the Word of God reveals to us who we are, we see just our depravity and our desperate need, right? Jesus said in in the Sermon on the Mount, He said, Blessed are those that mourn, right? Blessed are those that see their condition and they're broken over it. And and the power of God reveals to us our, our need of a Savior, our need of forgiveness, our need of His amazing grace. And then we hear in light of that, Who will go us. Who shall I send? You know, we've seen a a mission team that's going to be leaving this week. But I want to encourage you and I want to implore you that this call that rings out from the very throne room of heaven rings out to all of us. And Isaiah, when we think about what he experienced in that moment, you know, I'm in awe. I I was listening to the songs this morning. I was Thinking about just the majesty of God. And I'm in awe that he would use broken sin person. Like I'm. I remember in the moments when God was calling me to preach. And I said, God, you know who I am. God sees us in our brokenness. He sees us in our mess. And he loves us anyway. And Isaiah experiences the grace of God. And when he experiences God's grace, listen to me, we... When we experience God's grace, our posture before him is not of arrogance and saying, you know what? He says, who will go for us? Who will I send? And I don't want you to get a picture of Isaiah in the throne room going, I'll go. I want you to get a picture of somebody that's saying, you know what? Looking all around here. He was the only one there. Like, who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, you know what? I'm not qualified. I'm not good. But I'll go. And God's looking for some people who have seen him for who he is. And have experienced his grace. And they're willing to say, God, I, I surrender everything to you. God, whatever you want do in my life and and listen to me there are people in your lives and people in my lives and people around that you are the only one and God desires that we might respond like Isaiah I'm not much I don't bring anything to the table I'm a mess but God I've seen your greatness and I've been saved by your grace I'm in. Like, whatever that looks like, right? I'm in. What does it look like to be a people of unclean lips, right, that have been saved by His grace? What does it look like to be people that have been changed by Him? Here am I. Send me. To a group going to Honduras. Here, here am I. Send me. I'm not worthy. I'm not good. To a group of guys from Cornerstone that have rode up here on motorcycles. I got on motorcycles, running. <laughs> <laughs> They've they pedaled all the way from Florida. It's awesome. Right. They've come together. They've come together in Jesus' name. Right. Here am I. Send me. I've experienced your grace. I've experienced your Mercy, and I want to be used for your glory. Who else here this morning, right, is in that kind of place? Here I am. Send me. But I want to remind you that we can't go until we've been cleansed. We can't go until we have been saved. We we must be changed by God in order to be used by him. May we come to him with a recognition of his greatness, with repentant hearts. And may we leave, surrender to his way. We're to live as followers of Jesus Christ, filled with the power of the Spirit of God in us. And the Bible teaches us, right, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, and we surrender our life to him, that there's something beautiful that happens. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, that he who knew no sin, Jesus became sin on our behalf, right? So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Positionally, when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are made holy and we are made possible for us to be able to enter into the very throne room of heaven that we have access through the blood of Christ. And when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. But I want you to understand something. The evidence of the Christian life is holiness that is coming from an inside job that's being worked out practically in the life of believers, practically in the life of people that have been saved by grace. Jerry Bridges said this, the only safe evidence that we are in Christ is a holy life practically what's true of us positionally when we are born again into the family of God the spirit of God is working to make true of us practically as we live our lives and the world is desperate to see people who are not perfect but who are pursuing the holiness of God and that are being changed by his grace first John 3 says that that everyone who has within him the hope of eternal life purifies himself just as Christ is pure Apostle Paul said in Romans 8 that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. And if we know nothing of God's holiness, if we are not pursuing God's holiness, we flatter ourselves and we, we say, you know what, we're, we, we convince ourselves that yes, we're Christians, we did this or we did that, we repeated this, we did this. But I want you to understand something. When Jesus takes up residence inside the life of a believer, the scripture says if anyone is in Christ, that he is a new creature and that old things are passed away and all things things become new Jesus on the inside makes a difference on the outside and the evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ is a life that is being conformed to the image of Christ we're not perfect but I want you to understand something the convicting power of God and the discipline of God will fall on his people when we continue to walk in sinfulness and we continue as God reveals to himself the more that I learn of who God is the more I recognize who I am and the more I continue to repent and surrender and repent and surrender and we live lives, continually being conformed to his image. He who began a good work in you will see it through until the day of completion in Christ Jesus. May we be people that pursue the holiness of God, that live, surrendered, and sent, being changed by his grace. And here in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. We're going to move from the altar uh, of these, these coals, right, to the altar of Calvary. And we're going to look and remember all that Jesus has done. We take communion and we look back to the cross and we're reminded of all that has been accomplished on our behalf through the cross of Calvary. We look at, at his death and the suffering that he endured. We look at the blood that was shed, the, his body that was beaten for us. And we look back and we are grateful When we look back with grateful hearts, we approach this table with grateful hearts, and we approach this home place that we that we've been given this privilege, right, to commune together as the people of God. And we look not only at the cross, but we look within ourselves. And so here in these next few moments, we're going to worship together. The band is going to come, and we're going uh, to just have a time where we will worship. And it's a time where uh, I encourage every person in this room, right, to uh, to allow it to be a time that's just between you and the Lord. right. And I, I pray that God might give us a, a picture like he gave Isaiah, right, that we might see the king high and lifted up on his throne, that whatever burdens and weariness that we're experiencing, all the turbulence that's all around us, that we might remember in these moments that our God is still on the throne and that we don't have to be afraid, that we know that he is with us, that we might look within ourselves and we might be real with ourselves and we might see the holiness of God and we might be real with ourselves in, in, in the things that are in our life that he might call us to lay down. Things that that the scripture says in, in Hebrews that we might lay aside uh, that sin which so easily Easily besets us. May we this morning be people that before we approach the table that we might come with clean hands and clean hearts. That we might come before, uh, before that right, with prepared people. The scripture says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we take advantage of these moments and then may we approach his table together. Atone for by the blood of Christ, and if you've never trusted him this morning, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I pray that this morning you've seen a glimpse of the glory of God, and I pray that the Spirit of God might reveal to you just, listen, we are far worse off than we could ever imagine. That's what we see when we look to the cross. You were so bad off that Jesus had to die. But you were so loved that he was willing and that God sent him. And when we look to the cross, we see his grace and we respond. This morning it may be responding for salvation, repenting from your sin and trusting in him. This morning it may be in complete surrender to say, you know what, I've experienced your grace. And here am I, Lord. I don't bring much. I'm unworthy, but I'm willing. Send me. I'm going to pray for us and we'll worship together. Father, we're grateful for your word. God, we thank you for the, the beautiful picture of your glory and your grace that we have seen. Lord, in, in this short passage in Isaiah, Lord, I'm reminded that in, in the verses that follow, there was question and, and, and you even revealed to Isaiah that these people were not going to listen, and, but he was to go anyway. There was going to be a remnant that would hear. It's going to be a, a stump, a seed from that that would God, bring glory to you. I'm reminded this morning, Lord, that our call that the, is to go. Lord, you've called all of us who have experienced your grace to go into all the world and to proclaim the good news of your gospel. Lord, I pray that we would be people with open hands, Lord, that would say, Here am I. I've seen your glory. I've seen your greatness. I've been changed by your grace. Here am I. Send me. And may the declaration of all of your people this morning be, yes, I will. I will go. I will praise you. I will serve you. And if you don't know Jesus, I pray this morning that you would be drawn by the Spirit of God, that you might see him, that you might see your sin, that you might repent of it, and surrender your life to him to be saved, to be born again, to be part of the family of God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We ask, Father, that your spirit might move among us, Lord, that we might leave this place different, Lord, that you might prepare our hearts uh, in this time of worship uh, for for the time that we will commune together at your table. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood of Christ that was shed. And we thank you that you save us and use us for your glory. Lord, have your will and way in every life. And we ask this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.